Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. On occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. And there was this rumour that had gone around from a fella in a pub who claimed that his daughter had been murdered in the north by a stray rubber bullet and he was out to avenge her death. Today on the Indo-Daily, revenge plots, elaborate conspiracies and the new FBI files on assassinating the Queen. Forty years ago, the power ballad of the decade was number one. We were flocking to see Return of the Jedi. Return to a galaxy far, far away. And the must-have toy was the Cabbage Patch Kids. Nineteen eighty-three was also the year when Hollywood met royalty, as President Ronald Reagan hosted Queen Elizabeth II in California. We are very grateful for your charming hospitality and for the generous reception we have had everywhere since our arrival in California. However, now it turns out there was a plot by Republicans to assassinate the Queen while she was in the US, driven by revenge for the Troubles. I'm Fiona Sheen, and today on the Indo-Daily, I'm joined by Sinead Ryan, Irish independent economist and royal expert, to look at the multiple attempts to remove the royal family from the Queen to King Charles. Sinead, we're learning 40 years later about an assassination plot against the Queen by Republicans in the United States. Where's all this coming from? Well, it came from a release of a bunch of files from the FBI, of all sources, who had uncovered this plot to assassinate the Queen, one of many during her lifetime, it has to be said. Um, but it was at a time when when tensions were heightened and it was quite credible. It was considered to be so. Uh, and I suppose, Phnom, we're all used to like state papers being released years and years and years after events for, for political matters here and in the UK. But the FBI decided to drop this because the Queen has now died of natural causes, we hasten to add. And therefore, they feel that, you know, this this information can be released. So it came as quite a surprise uh, that they had such detail on it and, and that we know about it because it wasn't known before. Now, before we get into the detail, take us back to the period of time we're talking about, early 80s, mm. 70s and 80s, dominated by uh, the troubles in terms yeah. of UK-Irish relations. Talk us through that that period and and particularly uh, the involvement of the royal family. Yeah, so this was probably the height of the troubles. I mean, Bloody Sunday had happened in 1972. Um, There had been hundreds of 
murders on both sides over the years, really since the 60s, as we all know. And I suppose in terms of the royal family and plots against them, that reached its height in 1979 when the Queen's cousin, Lord Mountbatten, was murdered in Mullochmore in Sligo, where he visited his family home, Clasbon Castle. A day of tragic violence in Ireland. Lord Mountbatten of Burma has been killed by an explosion on his yacht off the Republic's coast. The provisional IRA have already said they killed Lord Mountbatten. He wasn't a member of the royal family in the sense that he wasn't, you know, part of the family, he wasn't in the line of succession, but he was so loved by them and he was such a close mentor. It was he who got Prince Philip um, to to meet the Queen and and maybe uh, become her husband. There was a great deal of kind of behind the scenes uh, manipulation of that relationship, which was a love match. Uh, And also he acted as a mentor to the young Prince Charles, uh, where his own father possibly lacking in in those particular skills. Uh, Mountbatten took him under his wing and he was utterly devastated by the loss of Mountbatten. It was a shocking thing to have happened. Now, take us forward then to 1983 and Queen Elizabeth II is is visiting the United States. So this was an important visit. It was a sight that neither the grey skies nor the sprinkling rain could ruin Her Majesty's yacht making a grand entrance into San Diego Harbour. This was no ordinary crowd. All were invited to catch a glimpse of the royal couple. The royal crew in proper step took its proper place and in punctual British fashion, Her Majesty emerged. It was an important visit politically, for sure. So the royal family have always made visits to the US and always received American presidents back at home. So it does underline that very close relationship. Aside from that, it was well known that Reagan was probably her favourite American president throughout the years. Now, she'd never say that publicly, but they shared a love of horses. Uh, Reagan, of course, had been in the movies. He was a very accomplished horse rider, as was the Queen herself. So she loved his company. He was easy, he was relaxed, he was a showman and, uh, and and she really enjoyed. So this was a visit she was looking forward to politically and professionally. And ladies and gentlemen, happily and conscious of the honour that is ours tonight, I ask you to join me in a toast to Her Majesty the Queen. To the Queen. Tell us then what the documents from the FBI are telling us, particularly around that visit to to Reagan's home state of California. The FBI were alerted. Now, whenever they have a visiting dignitary, they'll apply a a Secret Service detail to them. And of course, everything gets battened down and checked and double checked and all that. Uh, And there was this rumour that had gone around, you know, from a fella in a pub who claimed that his daughter had been murdered in the north by a stray rubber bullet and he was out to avenge her death. And an FBI agent got wind of this plot, uh, which seemed to be quite specific. Now, there were two options. The first was that he would stand on the Golden Gate Bridge because she was due to tour part of California uh, and he would drop a bomb onto the Royal Yacht as it passed underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. Then he was going to head out to Yosemite National Park where she was also going to pay a visit uh, and and try and, and maybe have a pot shot at her there. They did take precautions. They did. Uh, well, they'd ha- they have to because, I mean, you can't have something like that happening on their watch, even, even an attempt. So they closed off the bridge so that this would be 
kind of arsonist or, or bomber wouldn't be able to cross it. So she went ahead with the visit, very anxious to fulfil her obligations. And um, they headed out to Yosemite, fulfilled the whole package, really. And safely, she got home and we didn't hear anything about it until this cache of documents was dropped by the FBI. There was one incident on that trip that did actually result in in the deaths of a number of, of Secret Service agents. Tell us about that. Well, when she was heading over to this visit, she was given a Secret Service detail which would follow behind her official car. And these would be armed FBI uh, Secret Service um, agents. And they were coming around the bend of one of the roads and California is notorious for its windy roads. And there was a head-on collision and the agents were killed. So it was very, very tragic. Now, it didn't take long for some of the conspiracy theories to abound by that. You know, we've seen them before and since when it comes to car crashes and all kinds of things. Uh, But in fact, it was just a tragic accident. Uh, But it did overshadow the visit. It did mar it. Uh, And, you know, it certainly would put a dampener on it, even in terms of Reagan, because he he had to come out and make a statement and, you know... it, it was unfortunate, but that seems to have been all it was. A bit of conspiracy th- theory there. You mentioned her love of horses. She's going to the Kentucky Derby, and this was seen as a weak point in the security. A lover of horse racing and thoroughbred owner herself, the Queen came to the Commonwealth several times, including a visit in 1986. She was mostly out with the horses. She didn't have to leave Lexington, and for her to come to Goshen, Kentucky, 70 miles west of, of Versailles and the, and, and, and the traditional bluegrass, that was quite an honour. It was. Now, this was about 1989. The Queen visited the Kentucky Derby many times. She had private visits now, so they wouldn't necessarily have been publicised with public photographs. She loved horses. She loved the training and race horses. And this is a well-known place for breeding. And on the 89 visit, um, agents got wind of the fact that there was a plot maybe to do her harm or to cause um, embarrassment even, which which would have been pretty bad, uh, by the IRA and by local members. And uh, the detail at the time or the warning went out to be on a high alert for anybody who shouldn't be there. So that was um, something that came up in an FBI memo. But it was just to underline this idea that that remained a threat all the way along. So you're talking about from the 760s, really, right up to probably the signing of the Good Friday Agreement, where there were constant threats and worries and concerns because the Queen was the ultimate high profile figure. Getting rid of her, making a statement by harming her in any way would have been a massive statement, a coup, presumably, for for the IRA. We're heading in then to the to the early 90s. The, the troubles are, are still underway. And again, the, the Queen back on a, on a visit to the United States, mm. different president, the older George Bush That's at this right. point. Yeah. We're and at a bo- baseball game. And, and what, what was what was happening there? Here comes the Queen to the ballpark across 33rd Street. This was a shot about 10, 15 minutes ago as she pulls into the main area of the parking lot right in the front of the ballpark. The FBI got a Secret Service alert that Irish groups, that was their term for it, were planning protests at the stadium. Um, now, there didn't seem to be any indication that they would use a weapon or a bomb or anything like that, but they had bought up a whole chunk of tickets for the match. So the 
likelihood was that it was going to be a, a visual protest, maybe whipping off their shirts and wearing anti-British slogans or something like that. Something that would have got um, maximum press. Very embarrassing to the Queen, very embarrassing to Bush, of course, it has to be said, because it would look like they couldn't police the thing. And they did take precautions against that. During this period, there are a lot of conspiracy theories playing out amongst uh but externally and internally to the royal family. Tell me about Prince Charles and the enemies within. Look, plots have always taken place or been alleged to take place uh, in royal circles for the last, oh, I don't know, thousand years, uh, because that's how long they've been in existence. So, I mean, you can go back right back to Tudor times. Uh, you know, Henry VIII got his gig because of plotting. So all the way along there have been there have been plots. But one uh, notable one, which was hotly denied, uh, was uh, around the time when Diane and Charles had broken up. They sold a lot of newspapers in Britain today and they all had the same story, the divorce. The royal families in the olden days, aren't they? Getting divorced. Their children must be having a bloody awful time of it, and forgive me for swearing, but uh, I think they need to sort themselves out. William, as you remember, the next in line after Charles was quite young. He was only a teenager or younger uh, before Diana's death. Um, and uh, there was seemed to have been some kind of a conversation, a discussion, a plot, if you want to call it that, between uh, Diana, uh, Prince Andrew and his wife, the Duchess of York, Sarah Ferguson. Um, and the plan seemed to have surround about the... Um, dissatisfaction uh, about the fact that Charles and Diana were divorcing, separating, and it was clearly known then he was in love with Camilla, always had been, and was possibly planning on marrying her and having her on the throne at some point in the future. And Diana didn't obviously want this to happen, and her sense of it was that she thought the crown should pass to her son, William, who then was only a child. So in order to facilitate this, uh, there seemed to have been a conversation about... uh, Andrew, Prince Andrew, who would have been the next in line should something have happened uh, to Charles, uh, to become a regent. Now, a regent is where you step in to become the ruler until the next in line is of age. So between then and when it, when William was 18, Andrew would come in. And of course, this would shore up maybe his position. We always know he was, he was kind of uh, the disaffected second son, uh, but also his wife's and indeed Diana's because she'd, she'd have a lot of control and they would effectively run the, run the monarchy. Uh, th- there are suggestions. Angela Levin, a biographer, well-known biographer, wrote, wrote a book on this, uh, that they went to the Queen uh, and the Archbishop of Canterbury to try and get their you know, agreement for this, uh, both of whom, uh, it has to be said, took the sensible line and said, no, (laughs) that's not going to happen. But not entirely far-fetched in that uh, King Edward had to abdicate. Yes. uh, Because he wanted to marry a divorcee, Mm -hmm. Wallace Simpson. And uh, effectively, Charles was going to be kind of in the same scenario. He was going to be divorcing Diana and marrying a a divorcee in in Camilla. So at at that time, that, that... it, it wasn't uh, plausible that he could actually become become king by going down that no, route. No, indeed. I mean, in those days, and it seems strange because you're only talking about 25 years ago, but there was, there was real opposition, political opposition to Charles marrying Camilla or divorcing Diana. Huge opposition. And, and John Major was the prime minister at the time. Uh, and it was deemed, he, he Charles, the king, the queen, is head of the Church of England. And of course, this was not 
permitted by them. He was supposed to be setting an example. Uh, and at that stage, everybody knew uh, what had gone on and sympathy had firmly come down on Diana's side. Charles was not well liked. Uh, and you have to remember around that time, we're talking about the late 70s, early 80s, um, Britain was in a parlous state economically. There were riots on the street, there were strikes. Um, you know, there was a Republican movement really growing, but it was very much thought that Diane and Charles's marriage would scupper all that because it would bring out a sense of nationalism and royalist sentiment. And it did. So there were records, you know, Diana saved the monarchy kind of talk about it. So to suddenly have her ditched uh, for this other woman uh, didn't go down well with the public. So it, there was definitely an opposition to that. And even after Diana died, and that is partly why all the conspiracy theories started, because Diana dying was the only convenient way that Charles could have his way. So you can, you can understand where that all came from. Um, so this sentiment was there, real not real. It was definitely a strong feeling. It seems silly now, uh, but it was very, very strong then. You mentioned Diana and conspiracy theories and <laughs> Jeffrey Archer, a great man for them, in 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 his day job uh, as, a, as a novelist. His latest plotline has got uh, uh, the assassination of Diana at the heart of it. He wrote a book uh, last year called Next in Line. And it was about uh, a plot to to kill Diana by uh, sending in rogue Navy SEALs or elements that had been turned to set uh, a bomb on a boat that she was on. So listen, I mean... Navy SEALs look, as in the soldiers, <laughs> not the animals. Yeah, Indeed. Yeah. I, I read it last year. It was a, a remarkably um, forgettable book. Uh, but uh, it seems to have been surrounded. And of course, the day was saved uh, and nothing happened. But um, it just shows you that people can't get enough of the conspiracy theories. I mean, there were three inquiries and over a million pounds spent on the the inquiry into Diana's death. You know, there are still documentaries being made about it. There are still films being made about it. There are still episodes of The Crown to come out about it. It just shows you the ongoing fascination with what people want to believe. And you have to... I suppose partly look at the royal family nowadays, rogue elements within, like Harry and Meghan, I'm looking at you, uh, notwithstanding. The people love the celebrity of this. They just see them as a big, massive Kardashian on speed kind of thing. I don't see that abating anytime soon. And my thanks to Sinead Ryan. I'm Fiona Sheen, and today's episode was produced by Gareth Mulhall, researched by Saoirse Mulgrew, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from the Reagan Foundation, WHAS-TV, MLB, Fox 11, CBS 8, LA City Clark, the BBC, CNN and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.